Good morning, Deep Run family. This morning, we will be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, and if you're here in person and you need a Bible, you can find one in the back. If you're joining us virtually and you find that you need one, feel free to reach out and we'll find a way to get you one. Um, please join with me as we read from the Gospel of John. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the word of the Lord. The scriptures say that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. We are, we are uh, our second Sunday into our study of the Gospel of John, our exploration into this fabulous fourth gospel. And in the Gospel of John, we're going to discover, as I mentioned last week, we're going to discover the story of Jesus and how Christ's story offers us a better perspective on our own stories. 
So in a sense, we will rediscover, if you're a Christian and have been following Christ for quite a while, we will rediscover the story of Jesus, but in a new way. And you will discover your own story better as you watch Jesus and as his story unfolds. And um, John, last week, first impressed upon us, and you'll see this throughout John's gospel, the necessity of believing in Jesus. Quite literally, that's the point of his gospel, that we might believe in this Jesus, not just learn about him. Now today, John, the other John, John the baptizer, as he became known, John the Baptist will illustrate for us here in these verses the most critical element of belief, I think. Here's the most critical element of belief. If God is God, then you are not. In a sense, belief starts there. If you need a Savior, then you are not the Savior. And this principle, in my very elementary understanding of it, is what philosophers have always called antithesis. And we live our lives in antithesis, although in the 21st century world, uh, it is not a concept that uh, we like to admit is a reality. For instance, it is an antithesis that when you get in the shower in the morning, you know that the hot water nozzle is not the cold water nozzle or handle, I should say. Uh, The modern mind does not like to think in terms of antithesis, and yet we live in antithesis every day of our lives, okay? Now, the principle is apparent in what we're going to see John the Baptist do and and how he behaves in John chapter 1. The principle of antithesis is in critical regarding the concept of faith, of belief, and here it is. To believe in Jesus, you must first disbelieve in yourself. And those were the words of one of my professors in seminary uh, over 20 years ago. Actually, it was just under 20 years ago. It was the graduating senior sermon, my last semester of seminary in April 2002 in Massachusetts. And the way it worked was for all graduating seniors we were able to vote on which professor we wanted to hear from as the final chapel service of our seminary career. Before we're gearing up to go out into the world and into full-time ministry, uh, we, we would get to vote on the last professor we wanted to hear from in the pulpit in the final chapel service. And so that year, Gordon Hugenberger was, was selected by the student body and uh, he was an adjunct Old Testament professor, but he was the, at that time the lead minister at the historic Park Street Church in Boston. And he said to us, to believe in Jesus, you must first disbelieve in yourself. And he entitled that sermon, I Am Not the Christ. And he preached on this passage in John chapter 1. It was the most impactful sermon I have ever heard. It was a very humble sermon, a very simple sermon, certainly not a polished sermon, but it is the most influential sermon in my life. And every once in a while, I will listen to it, and I I have an old CD. However, you can find it on iTunes podcasts called I Am Not the Christ by Gordon P. Hugenberger. And that sermon from almost 20 years ago has inspired some portions of what I'm going to tell you today. 
Because in an age of believe in yourself mentality, promote yourself mentality, speak up for yourself, express yourself, in an age where that is what we are encouraged and often want to do, in order to believe in Jesus, you must first disbelieve in yourself. To quote Gordon Hugenberger, I want to talk to you about what John the Baptist thought of himself. And as we look at that, he's going to give us an illustration for how we should think of ourselves. And of course, we're going to talk about what God thinks of us. What John the Baptist thought of himself, what you think of yourself, and what God thinks of you. From John chapter 1, the second half. So John the Baptist thought of himself as a messenger who was not the message. He thought of himself as the messenger, not the message. So the religious officials from Jerusalem, the religious authorities, are very curious and intrigued about this man, this young man out in the desert, dressed kind of funny. If you read the other Gospels, you learn more about that. They're intrigued by this son from a priestly family who was not serving in the temple, but was out in the wilderness preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and baptizing people. It was a baptism of repentance. And so naturally, all of these signs because they were students of the Old Testament scriptures. They thought of the prophet Moses and what he had said about somebody who was to come, and they thought about prophets like Isaiah and Malachi and things that they had said, and they see this man baptizing and preaching repentance in the wilderness. And so they are intrigued, and they go out to John the Baptist to try and figure out what he was all about, because all of this, all of this, it, it just it spoke of Old Testament end times predictions. And so in curiosity, the religious leaders leave Jerusalem. They go up to the region of Galilee, just south of uh, the Sea of Galilee, where there is another town called Bethany there on the other side of the Jordan. And they say to John the Baptist, we see it in verses 19 and 20, who are you? And now John the evangelist tells us, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Meaning, I'm not the anointed one. I'm not the Messiah who is to come, whom everybody is waiting for. And so they respond to him, what do you say about yourself? Okay, if you're not the Christ, what do you say about yourself? And he replied, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, make straight the way of the Lord. John understood that in order to prepare the way for the Messiah, he needed to get out of the way. And he understood this about himself. He understood that this was the point of his career. If you read Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 1, you discover what the Lord told his father, Zechariah, that John's purpose for being born into the world was to get out of the way in order to make way for the coming Messiah. And then John, he, he does something remarkable, and, and frankly, it's what every true believer should do. He puts his confession into action. Look at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming 
toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Bible scholars wonder whether John truly understood the weight of the words that had come out of his mouth. But the gospel's intent here is, um, is not to convince us of the fact that John understood what he was saying. It's so that we understand what was happening. Okay, so it's included that we might understand that the man who was approaching was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And we'll unpack that as the Gospel of John continues in the coming months. But I want you to see what he does at this point. This is interesting. He says to his own disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then what do his disciples do? They drop him and follow Jesus. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, so the famous Peter, the famous Peter's brother Andrew was one of John the Baptist's disciples, and we are told here that Andrew first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we've found the Messiah. And then we're told that Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And so here we see the essence of all mission, of all evangelism, and frankly, of all personal Christian spiritual growth. That the first disciples came to Jesus because John pointed them away from himself. That's the principle. Jesus' first followers came to him because John was pushing them, pointing them away from himself. And there you see the concept of antithesis, that the messenger is not the message in this case. John saw himself as the bringer of good news, but not that good news himself. Okay, I know that seems obvious. It just seems like good, logical thinking. But honestly, do we think that way? I want you to ask yourself this question. The difference between sharing the good news about Jesus and thinking that you are the good news yourself? I wonder how often we think that way. Let me show you. What you think about yourself impacts other people in every type of relationship, okay? So God is God and you are not. And you're thinking, well, obvious. Did I come here today to be told that I am not God? You may need to be told that. I need to be told that. You will not make, if you do not make that distinction practically in your life, other people may not make it either. If you do not actively make the distinction that God is God and you are not, your children may not be able to make that distinction as they have to grow up and disconnect from their attachment to you. If you do not make that distinction for yourself, your spouse may not be able to make that distinction or a needy codependent friend or relative or your employees or direct reports or your students or your clients may not be able to make that distinction if you do not. Christ can save, I cannot. That's the testimony of John the Baptist. And then what we see later on in John chapter three, and I'll mention it now because I'm probably not gonna cover it in a few weeks when we get to John three, but uh, John's disciples notice that more people are flocking to Jesus now. 
and they come to John and say, hey, you know, Rabbi, what gives? All these people are leaving us and, and they're going to Jesus. And John offers this beautiful response. He basically says, it's my joy that they're leaving me and going to him. And he sums that up in John chapter three, verse 30, by saying these words to his own disciples about Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. And almost 20 years ago, when I sat there in the chapel, gearing up to... Uh, to uh, submit my application to a church in Severna Park, Maryland, um, I heard these words from Gordon Hugenberger. He must increase, but I must decrease. And he impressed those words upon us as we were gearing up for ministry to go out into the world. And in my own ministry, in my own ministry, whenever that concept Christ must increase, I must decrease whenever that concept gets inverted. I struggle, and I don't serve the sheep of God well. It is because that that concept gets inverted that so many high-profile leaders in the church fall. Because in their minds and in the culture around them, sometimes the culture itself feeds this, they and people start to lose the distinction between who is the Savior and who is not. So, the next time you feel ill-equipped to meet somebody else's needs, or you feel like you're not smart enough or capable enough in that situation, or you feel that you have failed, or, or maybe, maybe you just feel like you can't live up to or work according to your own expectations, the next time you feel that way, I want you to say to yourself what Gordon Huberger told us to say to, ourself, to, to say to ourselves. I am not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. Now, I'm not saying go be lazy. I'm not saying give it half your all. I'm not saying you can ignore people and this is now an excuse to just let things drop and let people drop out of your life and avoid people and not call them back and, 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 and just assume that, that uh, no one's problem is ever your problem. I'm not saying we don't care about injustice, but the presence of Jesus in your story debunks the theory that you can save other people or save yourself. And the sooner you realize that, the better hope you can have of working well, of parenting well, of loving well, of serving well, and, and even of suffering well. So that in all, because no, in all of that, you know that you're really not pointing people to yourself, you're pointing them to Jesus, right? You're pointing your codependent friend to Jesus. You're pointing your children to Jesus, not to yourself. In my own private, you know, in my own devotional journal on the Gospel of John a few months ago, I wrote these words and I've been, I've been meditating on these words ever since. The goal and purpose of my little life is to decrease for the joy of seeing others move toward Christ. And you can work according to that model and you can create and build and suffer 
and resolve conflicts according to that model. That the goal of our little lives is to live for the joy of seeing others move toward the Savior. So ask yourself, what do you think of yourself? And I encourage you to say it with me, I am not the Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. Jesus must increase. That's what it means to be a Christian and to follow him. If you're not a Christian and you're weighing the cost of following this Jesus, he must increase, which means you must decrease. That was the joy of John the Baptist. Seeing Jesus increase was his joy. Ask yourself, is it yours? Is it the joy of your life to see Jesus increase? Or is it your joy that people should rely on you? Or seek you out? Or call you in a pinch or depend upon you and thank you for making their lives different? Is it your joy that people should admire you and appreciate you and dare I say it, is it is it your joy that people ultimately should worship you? I'll pick on myself. I'll pick on my own profession. The New England author and pastor decades ago, Frederick Beekner, said this. He wrote this, that ministers in particular, people in the caring professions in general, are famous for neglecting their selves with the result that they are apt to become in their own way as helpless and crippled as the people they are trying to care for and thus no longer selves who can be much use to anybody. It was Parker Palmer who wrote that burnout, because I think that's really what Beekner was getting at, but Parker Palmer wrote that burnout is not the result of giving too much of yourself. Burnout is the result of giving what you do not possess. And I think Bilbo Baggins defined burnout as best as anyone could. He said it's like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. There's just not enough. And more so than there's not just enough is you don't have what you need to be the savior of the world. We rob ourselves of the joy of letting God be God to people. And we rob God of the glory that he alone deserves. I do it as a pastor. We do it as parents. We do it as friends. We do it as children. We do it as neighbors and coworkers and business owners and professionals. There's only room for one Messiah in the world. There's only room for one Messiah in this church. There's only room for one Messiah in your marriage, in your home, and in the neighborhood. You are not the Christ. He must increase. You must decrease. But don't think for a second that by decrease, what John meant was that somehow God thinks less of you. That's not true at all. What did it say in verse 29? Why did John's disciples leave him for Jesus? They had a compelling reason. 
It's not because they thought that they were nothing. It's not because John told them, think less of yourself. It's because he said to them, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the sin of the world. John did not say to them, behold, the Lamb of God who rids the world of sinners. They would have run as far away from Jesus as possible. But the Lamb of God who rids the world of sin, see, So, a holy God, through Jesus Christ's sacrificial death, killed your sin so that he could embrace you. God thinks the world of you. Just because you are to decrease so that Christ should increase does not mean that God thinks any less of you. He thinks the world of you. He sent his son to pursue you so that you could belong to him again. And that gives you the freedom to think less of yourself. That gives you the freedom to decrease. Knowing that God said, my love for you is worth dying in your place. That gives you the freedom to think less of yourself and say, I'm not the Christ. I'm not my child's savior. I'm not my spouse's savior. I'm not my own savior. I'm not my friend's savior. And certainly, as John the Baptist said, I am not worthy to untie Christ's filthiest sandal, but the amazing thing is that Jesus came to untie mine. He came to be my servant and to die in my place, to take away my sins and the sins of this entire, not the Christ, world. So the good news is, the antithesis, that you are not the Christ because Jesus is. And as much as none of us were brought here to save anyone, he was and he does. And that is a simple truth that is a matter of life and death for the world and for each of us. So in order to believe in Jesus, you must first disbelieve in yourself. And by thinking of ourselves as John the Baptist thought of himself, I am a messenger, but not the message. I am the bearer of good news, but not the good news itself, not the good news himself. We point, as we think that way, we point people whom we love and we point our neighbors and we even point our adversaries to the one they truly need, to the one we truly need. So what should you think of yourself? I am not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. Let's close with a confession. You know, and Gordon Hugenberger said, long before even the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed was this statement by John the Baptist. Let's say it together. I am not the Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. And I pray that throughout this week, that truth will sink into our souls and begin to bear out in every relationship in our lives, in every capacity in which our Savior has commissioned us to be his light, to be his salt to this world. Let's pray. 
Father, we praise you for the witness, for the testimony of John the Baptist, who understood that for the world to find salvation, he must decrease. Father, may it be so in our lives. We praise you that you have found a gentle way to allow us to fade into the background so that your son could come into the foreground. Fill us with a knowledge of your boundless love for us that gives us the freedom to choose to decrease in this world and in the lives of the people around us so that you may increase. Lord, break us of the chains that bind us to a savior mentality in the lives of those around us. Amen.